Welcome to the very first Practice Advantage podcast, brought to you by Healthy Eyes Advantage. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, Executive Vice President of Professional Strategies, and I'll be your host on your practice success journey. Running an independent eye care practice and business is hard work. We exist to make it easier. We also understand that you don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, so listen to us on your way to the office Monday mornings as we bring you tips, tricks, and strategies from experts from within and outside the eye care industry that you can begin implementing today in your practice. So let's dive in. Today, I am joined by Dr. Gillian Cockrell, CEO of Williams Group, the industry's leading consulting company for eye care professionals with clients across the United States, Canada, Bahamas, and all the way in Australia. Gillian, welcome to the Practice Advantage podcast. We're thrilled to have you. It's great to be here, Justin. Really, really looking forward to having a talk with you. Me too. Yeah, I think... Probably the best place to start. Tell us a little bit about your story, you know, your 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 move into optometry, and really the success that you've had in private practice. Because the success that you've had is is astronomical. Well, you know, I I have had a great time in optometry. Life's been good to me. Optometry's been, gosh, better than my wildest dreams. And um, and not just uh, not just practice management or financially, but emotionally and spiritually it's just been the greatest thing that could have um, that could have ever happened to me and you know your question about how i ended up here it was uh, it, it was ironic i i was a petroleum geologist um, before i went to optometry school and my only lucky break was that i had a physiology degree as well and uh, and i really only had those because uh, i didn't like history and or sociology and all that stuff and so I took all my electives were in science. So when I decided that uh, the oil business really, really wasn't for me, um, I didn't have to take a bunch of prerequisites before I could apply to optometry school. And and then I was fortunate enough to be accepted in 1976. And it's been uh, it's been uh, interesting every day after that. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about the practice that uh, the practice that you ran for many years, the success that you had in building that part, building the business of of your practice, and then ultimately what prompted your move over to lead Williams Group. Well, I, I tell you, there's an old adage that you uh, become the average of the five people that you choose to be around the most, and in my uh, particular case. I went into practice with a doctor who was only four years older than me, and he was uh, a very bright uh, fellow and a wonderful guy, and he was hyper-focused on practice management and all the things that are associated with that, goals in every way. And uh, and, and because of him, uh, I didn't pay maybe that much attention to things uh, for other than uh, hoping I could meet whatever goal he lined out for uh, next year, but uh, unfortunately, um, he uh, passed away unexpectedly after we'd been to get practice together for about four years, which uh, initiated an extremely steep uh, learning curve for me with respect to uh, practice management 
in just about every aspect. But a lot of times, you, you know, a lot of times in life, you, you don't really know what you uh, uh, are capable of or in, even enjoy until you happen to be thrust in that to that situation. And in our practice, I really had come to the practice just to uh, specialize in pediatrics and contact lenses. And my uh, partner did a lot of um, a lot of geriatrics and uh, older patients. When he passed away, I suddenly was thrust into into uh, that part of the practice. And man, I was scared to death. I, I didn't know uh, anything about geriatrics or whatever I knew. I thought I'd, I'd forgotten. But as it turned out, I uh, I, I just loved it, and it it sparked a it sparked a kind of a Oh, a lifelong interest for me in aging and wellness and cognitive pr- uh, preservation, and and uh, there just hasn't been any uh, really any avenue you could go down in optometry that that I haven't enjoyed. Uh, certainly, I do not specialize in low vision, but you know they're they're just all interesting avenues. But <clears throat> so as I've mentioned to you in the past. Um, you know, I had a couple of experiences early in my career that made me understand that, gosh, th- this isn't about glasses or contact lenses or uh, pharmaceuticals or any, any of those things. It's really about what can I do to, to help this patient? And more important than that, when they leave my office, are, are they going to feel like that I helped them? And, and then, uh, of course, I, I realized that all the things I've been uh, taught in optometry school were uh, uh, either urban legends or generalizations that they become uh, eerily frightening once you uh, once you get out. And I realized that that an enthusiastic patient that was going to tell a few people about me um, that was just a getting in on money. The the real thing was I had to create a patient that couldn't wait to come back and see me. So I. Uh, um, you know, having a few crises will make you pay a little bit closer attention, and I pretty much dredged up everything I'd ever been told in optometry school about. If you listen to your patients, they'll tell you how to practice. So I uh, I wrote that down actually on a piece of paper uh, one day, and I made up my mind I, I'm going to listen. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to listen uh, to everything these patients say, and I'm going to put myself in a position to listen. So I spent my whole uh, uh, 33 years and, not, and my years past, uh, since thinking just about every waking minute about how do I put myself and my team in a position to influence this patient's life in, a, in, in hopefully a great way. I think that uh, it's a piece that we often forget is the the secret. It's not really a secret to success, but by delivering that patient experience, by changing the lives of the patients that we see day in and day out, that in and of itself is one of the biggest practice builders that we can invest in. Yeah, your story is fascinating in, in the fact that you went from being a a, a partner, a minor partner in the practice to literally being the sole owner in a period of uh, overnight and having to be focused because of the position you were truly thrust in to be successful from a practice standpoint. Give us some of the, the things that you learned during that process. And one of the, one of the topics that I'd love to, to pick your brain on for our show today is that growth mindset. Obviously you were thrust into that, that type of that, that scenario, 
And you not only learned from it, you grew from it. You learned how to manage and grow a practice successfully, but you didn't stop there. You continued to grow both personally and professionally. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, you know, anyone can have a big year. It's about sustaining those years over the course of your practice life and hopefully for the people behind you. And that was kind of always important to me too. You know, am I going to create something that the person behind me can emulate or continue to uh, continue to be successful in? I, I don't want to have a one hit wonder here. And so I, uh, one of the things that's critical I think is uh, for most doctors is before you even get going, sit down and design the, the life you think you want. And, and then, put the systems in place that are going to support you getting there. And and the real deal is, with respect to growth, if you um, if you actually put the systems into place that will get you from point A to point B, you can't really stop growth. You, and and I've actually kind of tried that, and it, which is not a great uh, practice management technique. But uh, Don't but stop I, growth. I, uh, take that home. Let's right. take that home. Do not stop growth. Just don't stop growing, but because get your systems in place. And, you know, there was a, uh, I knew exactly how big I wanted to be to achieve the lifestyle I thought I wanted and, and, and also not have me uh, personally stressed. And, and, uh, and when I got there, it was exactly like I thought it was going to be. Life was nirvana. I, I wasn't stressed at the end of the day. I was making more money than I ever dreamed of. My staff was pretty happy and my patients were uh, happy, and uh, and the th- and it lasted three whole days, and I I remember it distinctly because the one thing that I hadn't planned on was that um, if I put a system in place that got me to point B, that it wasn't going to stop at point B, and so three days after life was wonderful, it was suddenly too busy, and uh, and it never really stopped. So along the way. I, uh, I I made a few key decisions that are difficult to make for for most people, and one of them one of them especially uh, that made all the difference in in the life of my practice and the fun that I had in my practice. And we're, hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk about those sometime. Absolutely, one of the things that I that I that I think is very unique about what you just said is you started with the end in mind and and you ultimately reached that end. It lasted three days and then you kept, you had to change because things kept going and growing. But yeah, I think you know, there's probably a number of our listeners who don't have that end in mind. And it's not just from a exit strategy standpoint for their practice, but really what do they design their life to look like? What do they want their practice to help them achieve from a life standpoint? And once they have that in mind, then they can backtrack, they can work backwards to put those systems in place to, to, to reach that, that designed life that they started the process with. Were there times where during in your career that it was challenging to stay focused on continually growing, whether that's again, professionally, personally, your practice. You said you reached that nirvana, it lasted three days, and then you had to keep going. Were there times that it was challenging yourself you know, for you to continue to grow and want to grow and be motivated to do so? Um, the, the only time it ever became a challenge for me was when I became uh, complacent 
in growing professionally. So if I, uh, um, you know, I, I'll have to admit there, there were times when, when every month all the journals are coming and they're talking about the same thing every month. There's the same thing, whether it's dry eye or diabetes or something else. And, and eventually, I didn't want to look at them anymore. I've seen enough about dry eye. And, and, but but it, the times that were challenging for me in my practice was when I wanted to succumb to complacency. The, the, things that, uh, the thing that kept me from uh, ever really succumbing to that was, um, you know, that whole thing, as corny as it sounds, of, gosh, if I quit studying, then I might not make this next person's life better when I could have made their life better. And just like probably everybody that listens to this podcast, and, and I bet in your particular case, too, uh, you've attended a, a continuing education lecture, and and just somehow you, you go to work the next day, and, and there's that problem right in front of you. And, and maybe you wouldn't have recognized the problem if you hadn't attended that continuing education lecture. Uh, maybe it was rare. Maybe it was something else. And so, uh, you know, just the, uh, oh, the, 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 I guess the realization that I wasn't studying for no reason. I, I wasn't, that actually things were going to happen. Things were going to show up and I was going to get to use that information. And so it, it, it just was, uh, it, it just was fun to me. And I, and so I, I guess my one piece of advice that I, I, I can tell you how to make money in, in practice. And I, and I can tell you how to get there. My, my one piece of advice is it'll all be a lot easier if you're happy doing it. So uh, if, if you just set up a system, you had fun. But, uh, you know, but I think that's the key also is I designed my life. I, I kind of knew, you know, where are my personal limits? And, and don't, don't base your personal limits on somebody else's personal limits. You know, I, uh, I reached a point where um, there we measured everything in our practice. I'm telling you every single thing I could figure out to measure. And I knew exactly where the point of diminishing returns was for just about every act. And so there's a, there's a, uh, I don't know if there's any studies that show this, but I, I always think all of us have a, uh, we have a, a physical capacity to deal with people. We have a psychological capacity to deal with people. And if we outrun those, our productivity is going to go down. We're also going to lose patients over it. Productivity is going to go, go down in every way. So if I'm an 18 exam a day doctor who insists on seeing 20, I probably work for nothing. Uh, and maybe I work for nothing on three or four of those. And and so when we brought in doctors into our practice, one of the things I told them was, for goodness sake, don't don't worry about being Gillen Cockrell or Paul Reimer or something. We want you to be you. And And not to mention your capacity to deal with people and problems it's probably going to change in, in my experience about every three years, you know, probably changes, but there's going to be some point where you, you kind of reach whatever your uh, physical capacity and psychological capacity to deal with people. And if you outrun them too far, it, you know, what, what's the point? You're not happy and you uh, burn out and you're going to make money way before, way before that. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I, we we worked real hard on watching for that, both with ourselves and and with our uh, with our employees as well. Um, when does productivity drop because we're starting to not be happy? 
That's a, that's a very interesting point that focusing on you know, that getting back to the designing your life piece, that's, that's your goal. And if you're out trying to outrun that from a working standpoint, you will see those diminishing returns, even if your revenue continues to grow. There's a, there's a phenomenal book out there called Design Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. <clears throat> that book walks you through the step-by-step process of designing the life that you want to create. And it actually takes you back a number of steps beyond what you may be thinking you want your life to be to really, it's a, it's a framework for getting to the piece of, you know, really getting to that life design that will ultimately impact how you run your practice, how you build your practice and how you grow your practice. Another thing that you said that I think was that that's, I, I want our listeners to take away is you also identified from a practice standpoint, your, your motivators. And one of those motivators was making your patient's day and, and, and not even making your patient's day, but impacting their life, whether it was that day or forever. For you, that motivator of continuing to find new ways that you were motivated to change your patient's life and impact their life and make it better. So if there were times that it was hard to be motivated to continue to grow, to continue to learn, you came back to that motivator and, and use that to continue forward. And I love that. I think that those are things that we don't take a step back to think about in our busy lives and our busy day to day when we feel that we just have to keep churning. We have to keep seeing patients and go, go, go. That if we take a step back and think about those things, write those things down, they have a much longer effect in a very positive way, especially when things do get tough from a practice growth standpoint. So for practice owners that are growth minded, who have that mentality of wanting to continue to improve, wanting to continue to grow their practice, give us a couple ways, perhaps from your own career, that those owners can translate and encourage that mindset within their team. So not just themselves, but they're everybody that they work with and everybody they lead. Well, the first one is, um, Quit being an optometrist. Quit trying to save your way into wealth. You, you're you're not going to do it. Uh, and you, it's it's nice to run a tight ship. It's it's nice to know are you probably meeting benchmarks or or are you exceeding benchmarks or whatever you're doing. But you're you're not going to cut expenses, especially on staff, to save your way to wealth. You, you need to hire the most uh, competent or more than competent, the most engaging. Uh, staff you can hire, and and then one of the critical components in in us doing that was two things. I looked at problem solving ability. What 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 about your life has ever put you in a situation where you couldn't escape solving the problem? And uh, whether you grew up on a farm and got a implement tangled up in a bridge, or whether you or whether you uh, uh, took calculus in in college and there was nobody to bail you out on the test. Whatever that was, I want to know: Do you is your approach to problem solving different than just saying I don't know? And uh, is, is that uh, a question you asked during interviews I, when you were looking for new staff I, members? I absolutely did. I absolutely did. And then the second thing that was absolutely critical was uh, more of a statement uh, to our to uh, potential employees, which uh, you know, if you're change averse. You, you can't work here because we'll make you insane. And because if a patient comes in, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that um, you know, if you listen to your patients, they'll tell you how to practice. And 
we all have those patients that, for whatever reason, um, look out for us. And, and I had a number of those patients in my practice that would, every time they came in for an exam, uh, if they were sitting in my reception area for a few minutes, they were looking, or all the way through the process, they were evaluating our processes. And the first thing they did when they sat down in the chair before I got to start talking was say, hey, Dr. Crockle, you know, you, you might want to think about doing this a little bit different or doing that a little bit different. And I, and I would tell uh, potential employees in the interview, if a patient comes in, and they make a recommendation that um, that we think is sound, we're changing that afternoon. It's not going to be six months of it because the last thing I want is for them to come back and see that we didn't pay any attention to their to their recommendation. We're, we're going to change it. And so if change is something that drives you crazy, you know, we, we still love you. Just, just don't work here because we're, your life's going to be miserable. You know, just um, just hire the best people you can because you it's a, uh, it's difficult to overpay. It's it's real easy to underpay. After a few years, you know, you uh, you couldn't really get a job in our office without a college degree. Of our about 30 employees, only two of them, I mean, didn't have college degrees. And and that wasn't for that wasn't because people who don't go to college aren't bright. It was because it was an easy way for us to know that you've probably been put in a position where you had to solve the problem. And there wasn't any way out of it. And so it, it's really about a problem-solving mindset. And, and, and that was one of our things. And then an, another thing was, you know, uh, in the, at the last place you worked, uh, what did you do to contribute to your other, your fellow employee success or your company success that nobody asked you to do? That you just did uh, because you wanted to. You saw a need. You saw or something to change and you and you did it and uh, and that that's important too because it signals initiative that uh, you know there's that they're probably going to work for the practice and they're probably going to work uh, for the patient and so those were those were key things uh, that uh, over time I learned that you, you just can't live without and then the other thing is all, all the myths that people say about oh I can't find Anybody that will work or, uh, well, you know, the other thing I did was I said, you know, uh, this is the Marines. Um, we're, we're not going to yell and scream and cuss at you, but we're, this, is the, this is the bar. We're relentless. Um, uh, and so if you don't want to reach that bar, you're going to hate working here because I'm going to continually try to train you. I'm going to continually try to try to ask you questions. And so if you don't want to learn the material, for goodness sake, don't put yourself in this position. And what I found is that people want to be good. So one of the things I did is, you know, Justin, my, uh, my chair-side assistants were, which by purpose were uh, clinical opticians. One of their jobs when they were in the exam room with me was to grade me and grade my rapport with the patient, grade my interaction with the patient. Because sometimes you get in the flow of talking to people and, and you you know what you mean, but you're you don't you're not really cognizant of the direction that conversation's going. But somebody on the outside knows you should have quit talking ten minutes ago, probably like right now. And uh, and uh, and and so my my staff had to write down. Well, they all carried these little two by four um, uh, spiral notebooks in their in their uh, smock, and they 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 had to write down the unsolicited comments that a patient made when I left the room. I didn't really care about Google reviews or things like that. I wanted to know right then, uh, especially I wanted to know right then if for some reason they weren't happy so we could fix it before they got to the front door 
or hopefully before they got to their cell phone to write a bad review. But but, uh, but I wanted them to grade me all, all day long. As you can probably tell, the conversation doesn't end there. So tune in next time as Gillen and I continue the conversation, discussing the power of asking for help and what working with a consultant can do for you and your practice. If you want to learn more about the Practice Advantage monthly subscription-based consulting program that HEA offers and is powered by Williams Group, give us a call, 1-800-959-2020. Option three, and start designing your life and what your practice can do for that life today. See you next time.